So in um, this week's parsha, which is Truma, which is Exodus 25, um, the rabbis are very bothered by the smichut parshiot. There's a whole machlokis whether the the building of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, came before the sin of the um, the golden calf or after the sin of the golden calf. Um, and um, if you look at the uh, end of last week's parasha, um, you see that uh, it talks about Moses going up into the cloud and he stood there on the seventh day um, and God called to him. And he went into the cloud, and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. So we're talking about the epiphany on Mount Sinai and the reception of the of the the two tablets, which we'll come back to in Pasha's Kisiso in chapter 33. Uh, so the question is, this whole section of the tabernacle, why, how does it fit in? Why does it fit in? And the medievalists um, struggle with that. What I want to look at is just a microcosm of the word that is used in the second verse, that is Exodus 25, verse 2. And God commands Moses, uh, uh, speak to the children of Israel, they shall... Right, the, 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 the word, the root of the word is kach, to take, they should take for me. What should it have said? Well, they should give. Right. Yeah. So it should have said, They should give to me. Uh, meaning, this is a donation which every person, according to his heart's desire, will give a donation. And that's dependent on his, uh, his generosity. But that word, bothers the rabbis no end. Because it implies, if you atomize it down, that it could be vehicle you should take me. Okay, Lee could be declined in different ways than the dative in the, towards me, on behalf of me, vehicle. And the word turuma can be atomized. You can actually say that it is tofresh vov hey Torah mem. And the mystics talk about truma as Torah mem. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to dive into that first. I first want to look into uh, the Midrash in Shihashirim, chapter 3. And the Midrash talks on the verse in uh, Song of Songs, Apirian Osali HaMelech Shlomo, that King Solomon has, um, has made for me a, an Apirion. The word Apirion um, has uh, different connotations. Um, it's certainly a, a, a loan word. The question is, loaned from where, when if you think that Shiashirim was uh, a composition of 26 love poems that from the ancient uh, um, some say from Egypt some say others Apirion, if uh, we look into the you see that? Apirion Apirion Osolo HaMelech Shalom he made this palaquin um, this closet from the cedars of uh, the cedars of Lebanon. Mm-hmm. So a palanquin is a closed bed on poles. Do you see that? Yep. Yeah. And it, some say that it was borrowed from the Greek, 
a Greek loan word from uh, the word phorion, P-H-O-R-E-I-O-N, a litter. Uh, with the prosthetic aleph, aphorion, or fora to carry, bring from the stem of ferrain to bear or carry, which is a cognate with the Latin ferre, F-E-R-R-E. Do you want to share that? So, um, and from that same Greek loan word, we get phosphorus and pheromone, and from the Latin, the English words transfer and fertile. The Greek Septuagint translates the word apirion as phorion, reinforcing that connection. But others disagree that it comes from the Greek because Greek words didn't enter Hebrew until late, certainly not at the time of of Shia Shirim. So you could translate it as a canopy. Apirion is used for a wedding. and there is an Akkadian word called aparu, A-P-P-A-R-U, meaning a covering of reeds. Um, there's a Gemara that talks about afar as a pasture saturated with the water or a swamp. There's also a Sanskrit word, pariyanka, uh, related to palaquin. Um, and maybe through the Persian cognates, um, it influenced this. So, apirian osoha melech shlomo. Why am I bringing you this Midrash from Shia Shirim to explain um, the Mishkan, the Tabernacle, and the Aron? Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Loi, Patakran, Ba'aron. Rabbi Yehuda says nothing in Shia Shirim is to be, to be taken literally. So the king isn't Solomon, the consort isn't. And so uh, the, the palaquin that the king made is basically the king of kings. And the palaquin is the Aron of the Eidut, the Luchot, mm-hmm. that we placed in the closet of the Holy Ark. Apirion, Zeha Aron. Hence canopy, uh, this canopy, this is the Ark. Umahu Apirion, and what is a canopy? That is, which feature of the canopy is displayed by the Ark? Ah, Puryoma. That's another loan word, Puryoma. A veil a veil now what he's trying to say is that like he placed a palaquin to place his bride or his beloved in this palaquin to hide her from public view of Melech Shlomo so too the Oron HaKodesh's function the function of the Oron HaKodesh here the Aron, the Ark is to hide as a veil that which should not be seen and now he dives into a mashal. Mashal Melech Shehayatolo Bat Yechida. There was a king who had Bat Yechida, an only daughter. I'm thinking of Bat Yechida as this day, as my daughter's getting married, certainly. Na'ev Chasida, beautiful and grace charming. Umashubachas and praiseworthy. Omalohem Amelech Lavados. One day the king said to his servants, my daughter is beautiful, charming, and praiseworthy. And you're not going to make her a veil? Make her veil, because it's better that my daughter's beauty should only be seen from inside the veil. In the interest of modesty, people shouldn't just gaze and ogle and 
and Facebook and do her. Her beauty should be hidden. Now, the Medrash presents this parable, this mashal, uh, to deflect the following question. If the tablets were Maase Elohim, they are the ta- they're, they're the handiwork of the divine, with the lettering engraved in a miraculous way, the Gemara and Shabbos says, Mizer, Mizer, that if you looked from both sides, the letters were the same, they weren't reversed. <coughs> the ark that contained them should seemingly have been left open while in transport, so everyone could see the splendor, the public demonstrations of God's love for the Jewish people. So why, the Medrash is struggling, why were the Luchos concealed in a closed ark? To answer that question, he brings this Midrash, this Mashal, this fictional narrative of a king who had a beautiful daughter, and he didn't want her parading and flaunting. So he asks his servants to make a veil. How come you haven't made a veil? And now the Nimshal, the Kach, Omar HaKadosh Baruch now we're going to connect the daughter with the king, the luchos with God. The same words that describe the beauty of his daughter. Interesting that they would use a metaphor like that. He could have said, I have a, pe- a beautiful golden painting or I have work of sculpture. But he says, I have a daughter that is beautiful and charming and so the nimshal is that God has given us a Torah that has those same feminine qualities and later in the mystical literature we will find out that that is the Shekhinah and you're not going to make an ark for her she's not for display for everybody for the nations of the world or anything there and now here the Moshal and the Nimshal breaks down because we said it's people should see her through the veil it's a translucent veil here it breaks down he says it's better you put her in the ark you can't see through the doors of the ark it's opaque now that idea of the Torah as Biti brings us to our Midrash on the Yikhuli Truma. And in order to understand the power of this Midrash, which starts here, you have to understand that um, the, the exegetical trigger, the trigger for this exegesis means what's bothering the rabbis, you will not find out till the end. But what's bothering them comes from initially, and you might think that that is the only trigger, the yikhuli, it should have said the yitnuli, they should give to me donations for the mishkan. Why is the yikhu? And the answer is, well, the yikhu is you, you should take me. Take me? What does that mean? So here the Medrash dives in. The yikhuli truma. Ha'im yesh lecha mekach kinyan nimka emo. Is it possible that you can sell a painting and you sell the painter with the painting? Who's ever heard of such a thing? You don't sell the... Here's a Picasso, and by the way, I'm selling Picasso himself with the Picasso, right? We don't do that. You sell the painting. 
So it's, it, the rabbis have a sense of humor, right? It's a rhetorical question. Ella, clearly, mm-hmm. I like the idea of a sale. It should have been, I gave you. It was a donation. No, no, I, it's a sale. There are conditions. There are strings attached to this sale, right? I sold you my Torah. Now the Medrash comes out with this outrageous claim. I sold myself with the Torah. I came along with it. Is it possible that you sell a painting with the painter? Of course not. No. The Abishta says, I sold you the Torah, and I was sold, nimkarti in the nifal, I was sold with it, kavyochol. Kavyochol is a technical term in Midrash to say, chas you can't say things like that about God, but we are. Right? It's an anthropomorphism, anthropomorphism not. Yeah. Meaning, I know it's anthropomorphic. So just take it in the, in the literary way I mean it. I don't mean it literally. Shenema, and the proof text that the Rebbeinah Shalom is sold alongside his Torah is V'yikhuli. You should take, not give, take Li, me. You have to take me along with it. I'm giving you the Torah, but you got to take me along with it. And, and, and the Medrash says and as if the word li is not in the propositional, not in the dative, but is in the accusative. Ot, you shall take me along with the Torah. And now we dive into that mashal again. Remember we had that mashal in Shia Shirim. So now we're going to come back to that mashal. The same father, king, the same daughter, and and we have a number of these tropes in Midrash in which there is an inappropriate relationship between the father and the daughter. And I want to focus on that, okay? Yes, yeah, so we, we all have daughters, but okay, but we have to let go at some point, right? Right? This is a love story. It's time for her to get married. And so a prince from another land comes who is appropriate, who has a kingdom of his own, in order to take her in marriage. So he comes to seek her hand in marriage and to take her back as a wife to his land. That's the narrator. Now we go into the conversation. So now... Everything's going well, the arrangements, the nadan, the dowry, everything's going well. Now there's a fireside chat where every father-in-law, including me, says to his son-in-law, will you keep my daughter the way she's been accustomed to? (laughs) There are a lot of intangibles that I want to make sure that the son-in-law-to-be knows my daughter, knows her foibles, knows what she needs for her happiness. Will you take her, you take it by the fireside chat over the mantelpiece, every good British father-in-law to be. And now the father says to this, by the fireside, by the mantelpiece, to the son, the prince to be. You know, his new son-in-law is going to be in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to know, as if he didn't, I need you to know that this is my only daughter. I can't be separated from her. Why not? Stay tuned. I cannot be separated. This is what he's telling the boy. I cannot be separated from her. For me to say to you, uh, don't take her. I mean, you're taking her in marriage. I mean, of course. I can't say to you, don't take her. 
So he is now in this existential crisis as a father. He has to let go, but he can't. He can't say, I won't let go, because this is, a, this is the future of his daughter and the prince. You married her. She's now yours, and you want to take her away. It's time for you to take her away. At this moment in time, we're stuck in a quandary. So he has a solution. The king is suggesting a solution to the son-in-law. Now let's see how appropriate it is. Can you please do me a favor? Wherever you go in the world, could you make me a ketone, a cupboard, a closet, a palaquin, an aperion? Could you make me a closet? So that I can always dwell with you. Why? I can't just leave my daughter. Unbelievable medrash. And it reveals what? The, the psychology of the king. If, he, if, a, if a patient would come to me and say exactly this on the couch, dark, I just can't let her go. What would I diagnose this with? <laughs> your, your relationship is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Every father has to let go. Every king has to let go. You have to let go. You're getting married. Give you get as bitty nosati Let go. I can't let go. Oh, we have some pathology here. What's the pathology? Is it narcissism? Is it an inappropriate attachment? Some midrashim say he loved her too much it was inappropriate there's something inappropriate about this relationship if a father can't let go of his daughter so he's coming up with this wonderful solution now the medrash is using this mashal in order to do what? To explain something, let's hear the nimshal. I just gave you the Torah. To let go of the Torah? Are you joking me? It belongs to me. And later on we'll know it's the Shechina. She, be- she belongs to me. I can't let go of her. So everywhere you go, in the desert, in the thing, Mishkon, Shiloh, Beis Amikdash, Mikdash Ma'at, wherever you go, Please, take me along, which explains v'yikhuli, and not v'yitnuli. We've atomized the verse, because v'yitnuli means give me nadovas, give me donations for the mishkan. We split that off. V'yikhuli, take me along, terumah, with Torah mem. Remember Moses had been up there 40 days. Mem, Torah, is truma. Take me along with her. Why? I can't let go. I can't let go. It's a crazy medrash. Crazy medrash. We've gone from the palaquin she'osoli, right? The itro lo itro lo imo. That is, ba'melech shloma in the Song of Songs, we made a palaquin. Who's in the palaquin? Is it the bride 
or is it the groom? And we've moved that over to here to understand the very nature of the relationship between the father and the daughter, the pathology of the father who cannot let go, and to explain the exegetical trigger of the Yikhuli instead of the Nosnuli. Now let's dig deeper. What is the nature of Torah? And what's the, the nature of this menage a trois? God, Torah, and Am Yisrael. God is giving us the gift of Torah. He's then saying to us, well, that wasn't good enough. You sinned at this ego. So the Mishkan comes as a substitute, according to the Maklokis between the Rambam and the Ramban and Minchas and Rashi, and whether this is Mishkan is a substitute for our tribal need to do sacrifices, and that's why when we say, okay, you, you serve the Ego, okay, I see that you're not spiritual enough just to serve an, an invisible divine. Here, here's the Mishkan, here's the Oron, I'll be hiding inside it. Or is it something about the very nature of our relationship with the divine that is always fraught? Now, that's not just in Judaism. We see that in the Hindus. Anytime you mess with the gods, Lahavdil, blood flows with the Greeks. Anytime the Greeks, gods messed with men, there were tragedies. And even in our Torah. By Yiru as B'nai Elohim, these divine beings in Genesis that come down and mate with human. They produce the demons and the giants and all that. So any kind of interaction with the divine by mortals is fraught with danger. It's fraught with something inappropriate. And I think what the Bala Medrash, unconsciously maybe, is doing here, by bringing us this fictional narrative, he's allowed to hide radical theological undertones within the narrative of the fiction in order to reveal not just the exegetical trigger, that the semantic trigger that triggered this whole drush, that was just the the hook that he's hanging his deep unconscious desire, but the very notion that God is giving us something that is so holy, that is so beyond, that is so transcendent, that the king has to sell, tell his uh, his servants and Shia Shirim, she's too beautiful, she's too charming, she's too praiseworthy. How come you haven't created a veil for her? Why? It's not for everyone to behold. Inappropriate things will follow. People will fall in love with I need to hide her beauty. And the reference here then is, I can't let go of her. And the reason is she's so praiseworthy, she's so beautiful, she is so charming, right? That the Rabboni Shalom Kav cannot just let go of her. And he cannot have her exposed. He cannot expose her, as we see in Medrash Yashirim. The palaquin hides the bride. The Aron hides the Torah. Because not everyone who looks at her mysteries will feel appropriate or interpret it appropriately. So comes this Bala Medrash that says, no, we have to, we have to hide this beauty and this charm of Torah uh, within this ketone, within this mikdash. Not only that, the very word mishkan 
or tabernacle, it plays on the word v'shochanti b'sochon, meaning make me a mikdash that I will dwell with them, v'shochanti, mishkan, shochanti, so that I can dwell with them because I cannot let go of her. It reflects not only his fear that she will be exposed inappropriately, but it also reflects his pathology that he cannot let go of her. The king cannot let go of the, the bride because she is too beautiful, she is too perfection. And what would mortals do with something so perfect? We would just sully it, we would soil it. And so then the Mishkan's tone now has a darker tone to it. It is something that hides the beauty, but it also reflects the intent of the divine in protecting because he can't let go. And that has enormous implications as we look at these texts in a post-Holocaust way and try to recover that which is lost.